Well, this morning, as the music director at the school here, uh, Erie First Christian Academy, as the worship director here at the church, uh, vocal coach for the Young People's Chorus, and the section leader for the Erie Philharmonic Chorus, I'm here to tell you this morning, as we talk about these great expressions, this worship, I'm here to tell you that worship is not about music. I want you guys to think about something. Worship is not music. Worship is not songs. Those are expressions of worship. Worship cannot be confined to a box. Worship is simply our connection to him. Worship to God has nothing to do with music. I think, uh, I think having a life of worship, having an understanding of worship, comes from having a, real, a revelation of Jesus and a relationship with Jesus. Worship is not an experience. It is not an event. It is not a weekend service. But worship, if understanding it in the context of worship, is all about giving due worth to our God. Okay, do you see the difference? Worship has always been about the glory of God. One day I'm going to be standing before him, and as I like to say, I won't be standing behind a microphone with a guitar on my back. It's just going to be me and him. So we, we sort of think that worship leading is stringing together a few hit songs, and then that's leading worship. And, you know, music's good, and music lifts us and everything, but I think our challenge as worship leaders is to pastorally shape God's people, and we shape God's people by God, by a revelation of who He is that's biblically accurate. In a sense, the music isn't the most important thing. Um, it's the heart, and you, if you have no heart and you try and dress it up with music, it won't be a powerful experience. Uh, you've got to have the heart, and then the music's like a bonus. When we get into the music... It's really not worship. When we get into the music, it's just spiritual entertainment. Just because I cry doesn't mean that I know who God is. Hallelujah. But when I get into the word and I read Isaiah 40, and that I'm a host, and I read Isaiah 40, and it speaks of the greatness of our God, the awesomeness of our God, the majesty of our God, it brings me to a point of understanding that this is not just a religion, this is a relationship. All right, some, some really great worship leaders there and worship pastors. Uh, just Again, that expression that worship is just, it's not just music, it's so much more. So what is that more to worship? Like, what, what is it? What is worship exactly if it's not a weekend service like we heard or if it's not just some musical expression? What is it? Last week, Pastor Jack talked a little bit about worship being this literal bowing before God. Like we actually submit ourselves to him. Like we put ourselves underneath him and say, God, you're, you're worthy. That worship that Darlene Check talked about. Looking in the scriptures, let's see what, let's see what uh, that says about worship there. So looking at Romans 12.1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's very interesting that Paul would use a language talking about offer your, your bodies as living sacrifices, as sacrifices and offerings. So what we are going to do is we are going to talk about what that meant. 
what it, what it means, like these offerings and sacrifices, hopefully to paint a clear picture of what Paul was saying. So in that process, we are going to take a fast track through the Bible and see if we can, uh, see if we can bring some clarity to offering and sacrificing our, our bodies. And we are going to land in Matthew 15, and that's where our teaching is going to come from. So, uh, so here we go. We're better to start. Then in the beginning, at Genesis 1, here's what the book of Genesis says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And David's reflection on that was that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now, if you think about it, there are these giant, massive stars, these, these planets, these things that are going on all around in our universe, and these things are declaring God's glory, like things that are much bigger than us. I know we've talked about that a little bit. You remember uh, uh, the Louis Giglio speech on how great is our God, saying if the earth were the size of a golf ball, then the largest star that we know in our solar system, the Canis Majoris, uh, it would take uh, the number of earths it would take to fill the Canis Majoris uh, it would take the same number of golf balls to cover the state of Texas 22 times over. Like there are just these massive things declaring God's glory out in, the, in our universe. But us, we were made for more than that. There are these huge things going on, but we were made for more than that. We weren't just made to declare God's glory, but we were made to declare and to bear God's image and God himself, not just his glory. If you, want, if you think about that, I mean, you don't really see like, the sun and like Neptune showing compassion to each other, or you don't see like Pluto showing forgiveness to Mars, but as God's people, we get to show his forgiveness. We get to show his love. We get to show his compassion. In Genesis three, we have the first time where mankind sort of falls off course. This is the story of Adam and Eve. And it's just Adam, Eve, this garden, and the tree with the apple. I know you're familiar with that. And, and the serpent. And God's like, hey, it's just us. It's just us here. Just worship me. Just follow me. Just love me. And we'll be fine. And mankind gets off course when they take a bite of that apple off the tree. And it's the first sign that we see of disobedience. It's the first sign we see of disobedience. And that's in, Gen- in Genesis 3. But God still promises redemption in the midst of that disobedience. He says, I will put enmity. This is him talking, God talking to the serpent. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Talking about Christ, that's foreshadowing to who Jesus is. He'll crush your head, Satan. Uh, So I'm going, so God, in the midst of our disobedience, in the very beginning, God's still promising redemption. Jumping even further ahead to Genesis 12, now God is addressing more than just uh, Adam and Eve. Now he's expanding that to a people group. This is the story of Abraham. And if you remember, God says to Abraham, Abraham, you'll have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, as there are grains of sand on the seashore. And I will bless, through you, I will bless all nations, through this people Israel, through this people of Israel. So now he's expanding this to a nation. And he's saying, Abraham, I will turn this people into a holy nation. And people will say Israel is great, not because of their great military power, or not because they're very wise, But they'll say, Israel is great because of their God. So I will be your God and you will be my people. Just follow me. And if people see that I'm great within you, if I'm lifted up from the earth, then I'll draw men unto me. Of course, Israel still gets a bit off course with more disobedience and and following some other things. That lands us to the book of Exodus. In Exodus, we have Israel going into slavery to the Egyptians. Now, this is the story of Moses. 
Now, God sends Moses to tell the Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you think about that in the book of Exodus, if some of you remember that, that ended up being 40 years in a desert. And the people were probably like, what kind of worship is this? It's 40 years in a desert. What are we supposed to do? It's just us and you, God. What are we supposed to do? And God's like, exactly, exactly. It's just me and you in a desert. There's no one else here. There's nothing else here. Just follow me. Just obey me. Just pursue me and we'll be fine. And so the Israelites, as they're following the Lord around, they're walking. They're like, well, I'm going to get distracted. What if I just pull off my earrings here? and take off my necklace and melt them down and make a golden calf. And then I'll, I'll, I'll worship that. How about that? And God's like, no, what are you doing? We're in the middle of a desert. How do you get sidetracked with your jewelry? How can you do that? Just pursue me. So more of that, just getting sidetracked, more disobedience, more just not seeking the Lord. Jumping ahead to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. In Leviticus, the first time we have uh, that God is now giving them instructions. Now, okay, like you like giving offerings to things. So here, I'll give you instructions now. This is how you can give a burnt offering. You can bring these these bulls, these lambs, these goats. You can offer them as a sacrifice to me. It'll be a pleasing aroma. But in Deuteronomy, the heart that he puts behind that, he says, but you are to love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. That's that great Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, Israel gets still gets sidetracked, still fighting that disobedience, but they're now they're they're getting good at giving these sacrifices and these offerings, but they're still fighting this disobedience. Jumping ahead to the book of Judges, a simple paraphrase of the book of Judges, if uh, if you haven't read it, step one, Israel turns from God in some kind of disobedience and they suffer. Step two, they turn back to God and they cry to help because they were suffering. And step three, God rescues the people of Israel and they prosper. You repeat steps one through three a lot and you pretty much have the book of Judges. (laughs) You pretty much have the book of Judges. Uh, Just disobedience and God still redeeming them, sending people to rescue them. Jumping ahead to uh, Samuel. Yeah, the people of Israel, they were like, God, I I think we know what it takes to follow you. I think, I think I know what it takes to follow you. I think we need a king, God. I think, I think it'll take a king for us to follow you. God's like, no, you couldn't get it right when it was just a garden. You couldn't get it right when you're in slavery and, and then you're in a desert and now you want a king to distract you from following me. You just need to follow me. You just need to obey me. Love me, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. No, God, I think we really need a king. I think we need a king. All right. So in the book of Samuel, we have King Saul. We have King Saul. And God commands King Saul to go in and wipe out this people uh, that were doing detestable things, the Amalekites, to completely wipe out everything that, that was there. Um, wipe out their, their, their jewelry, their, uh, their, their goods, their animals, just wipe everything out. And so Saul goes in and he, he fights the Amalekites. He wipes out the army. But then he starts looking around. He's like... There's some pretty cool jewelry here. Look at these women. What if I, what if I keep some of this? And they have some great animals here too. What if I can give offerings and sacrifices with it, right? What if I do that? Samuel confronts Saul and says, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear? What, 
What is this? What's all this stuff I see? Is this, this gold? These animals? What is that? And Saul says, I was worshiping the Lord with it. I was going to give a burnt offering with these sheep. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm following the Lord. And here's what Samuel says. It's fantastic. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. Samuel just turning Saul saying, look, obedience, just pursue God. What, what's with just these sacrifices that in your disobedience? What is that? Jumping ahead to the book of Amos now. The people of Israel are getting off course now that they, they have these sacrifices uh, and, and offerings down, uh, burnt offering, fellowship offering. Now they're starting to hold these feasts and, they're in the, in, uh, and join in fellowship together. But in the midst of that, they were starting to become rich at the expense of others. So they were starting to forget about their neighbor. They're forgetting about the poor. They're forgetting about uh, the orphan, the widow, the fatherless. They were just... They were just leaving those people behind and starting to gain some, some richness and some power in themselves. And so the Lord sends Amos and says, Amos, address these people. They're giving me offerings and sacrifices. They're even starting to sing songs to me. Address these people. Turn, turn them back to me. And Amos, Amos says this to the people of Israel. He says, seek me alone. Seek the Lord and live. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Reading that myself, I'm like, really, God? That's, that's, that's like what I do. I'm a, I'm a worship director. Like I, I just played guitar like 10 minutes ago. You sing away with the noise of your songs. But worship's not about music, is it? In Isaiah, you have more of the Israelites getting off course again. Now they're, they're good at these sacrifices, good at offerings, good at singing these songs, holding assemblies. Now they're starting to pray. They're, 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 they're getting good at all these prayers. They're getting good at fasting. They're getting good at all these, all these traditions that, they're, that, they're, uh, that, that are supposed to express their worship. But they're still forsaking the poor, still still not being obedient to love the Lord their, their God with all their heart and love their neighbor. They're just forsaking obedience. Here's what the Lord says to Israelites in Isaiah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men. They're still getting off track with this disobedience, but just, just giving offerings and sacrifices and songs and prayers and fasting. So you're probably thinking, what about the leaders? Didn't, weren't, didn't they have religious leaders with them that were helping them in these things like God's people? Yes, <laughs> yes, they did. So in the book of Malachi, God is now addressing the leaders. And so now that they have these offerings and sacrifices and songs and prayers and, and fasting, and they have all this down, but they're still, they're still trying to get this love God, love people thing down. They're just still trying to get that down. 
now in the book of Malachi, the leaders, they're starting to get lazy even with the expressions of their worship. They're starting to offer sacrifices and animals that weren't the best of their crops. Instead of bringing the the best ram or or the the first fruits of their ram, they're starting to bring uh, like the three-legged one that would be sitting in the back that like had like one eye and it would like limp around and it wasn't really well fed. They're like bringing that one like, oh, hey, let's take this one to church and give it as an offering. (laughs) Let's let's put this one on the altar. I think God will be okay with that, right? And here's here's what God says in Malachi. If you do not listen and if you do not set to your heart to honor my name, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on the faces the offal from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. He says, I'll spread the offal from your sacrifices on your faces. It's, it's dung. Saying to them, I will take the dung from these bad sacrifices that you're giving now and I'll spread it on your faces and you'll be carried away with it. It's like God throughout the entire Old Testament is just like, I just want you to be obedient. I just want you to follow me, love me with all your heart, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Take care of the people around you. I just, I just want you to do that. I have plenty of sacrifices and songs. Look, when I give you these commands, it's not, so, it's not just to be a burden to you, but I want to give these, give these commands to you so that when people look at you, they'll see my wisdom. They'll see my justice. They'll see my love. See, the commands of God were supposed to be obvious reflectors of himself. Again, if he's lifted up from the earth, then he'll draw all men unto him. If he's lifted up. Rather than follow his commands, they just got caught up in their tradition of having church, their sacrifices, their offerings, their feasts. And God's just saying, it's just as disgusting as dung to me. So that's the, that's the, the Old Testament kind of building up that story. And now we're landing in the book of Matthew. This is chapter 15. Verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore the tradition of ceremonial washing, hand washing before they eat. See, the Pharisees in that time were the God-fearers of the day. These were the people that were the religious leaders. Uh, now, between Malachi and Matthew, there was a lot of silence. Like, there wasn't any prophet coming in that time. There was just a lot of silence. And so the Pharisees in that time just became these, these, these are the people who fear the Lord. These are the people who you want to follow. And suddenly, here comes Jesus living a completely different lifestyle. He's not doing all their traditions, but he's healing people. He's giving sight to the blind. Like, he's making the lame walk. He's doing all these great miracles and claiming to be the son of God. These Pharisees are like, are you kidding me? And you don't wash your hands before you eat? See, the, the, the hand washing at that time to, to be clean or to be unclean was a big deal. Like to be unclean was a big deal. If you touch something unclean or if you ate with unclean hands, they didn't say that, oh, you, you get germs, you know, so sanitizer or whatever. They didn't do that. It was, it, was, it was more of if you touch something unclean or if you eat with unclean hands, then you take on uncleanliness. You actually internalize being unclean. 
I mean, you could you could probably you could probably think about like we we we've looked at some people that way before, right? Like if we've known somebody that uh, they had maybe they had a, a drug addiction, we, we've been judgmental in those ways before. If they have had some kind of past, and we just look at them like oh, that person's unclean. That same judgment is the kind of judgment that the Pharisees would pass along to these people that would eat with unclean hands. And now they're looking at Jesus that way. See, the Pharisees would take commands of the Lord and put a hedge of protection around them. So they would take a command, like for instance, uh, thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. That's the command of God in the center. And they would put the hedge of protection around it and say, well, what exactly is work? What, what is work? And they would build this long list, 39 categories of what was actually working on the Sabbath, what could actually be considered work and not. And in the midst of that, they would be honoring that hedge of protection and following all these rules that they would, that they would line up, saying, okay, I'm, I'm fearing the Lord because I'm doing this, I'm doing these things. And they would honor their tradition over the word of the Lord. So Jesus addresses them. He addresses them. And the command he's addressing them on now is thou shalt honor your mother, thou shalt honor your mother and father. And here's what Jesus says in verse three. And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commands of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who does not honor his father and mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to God what I would have given you. In this way, you say, I do not need to, that, that they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your tradition. See, the Pharisees had this thing called Corbin. Now, if you think about it, parents financially support and they help their kids to grow and move out on their own. And then when the parents get older, the kids look back and they support their parents and they help them as they pass on from this life. Well, the Pharisees would say, hey, if you vow that money that you saved up for your parents, if you vow that money to God, then you don't have to give it to your parents. And then they would turn and look at them and say, hey, I'm sorry, I did something more honorable with that money. And then when their parents would like kick the can or, or, or pass whatever the term is, <laughs> when that would happen, when that, when that would happen, they would take that money back. They would take that money back. It's like they set up this like safety net around this commandment saying, hey, like, how can I still be financially stable and not obey God's word, but obey my tradition. And so they would take that money back. And Jesus is saying, you, you hypocrites, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're probably thinking, well, that's the Pharisees, right? Like we know them to be like these like religious, like fanatics. We don't do those things, right? <laughs> if you think about it, we, we have quiet time. We have Bible studies. We come to church two hours or so a week, some of us more. We also have this unspoken tradition of sort of looking around and seeing what different people in here do to find out what's good Christianity. Like, how can I be a good Christian? Well, he does this, so what if I do the same thing? Or she does that, so what if I follow what she's doing, and then I'll be a good Christian? And we kind of fall into this trap of saying, well, if I come to church, if I go to Bible study, if I imitate this person, then I'm good to go. Then I know the Lord. I'm in a, I'm in a loving relationship. Then I have this, 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 this tie with, with Jesus Christ. Then I'm set. 
I'm a good Christian if I do those things. The problem is that our traditions often limit our obedience. How, you ask? So glad you asked. (laughs) Starting from a cultural perspective, the scriptures say, deny yourself, to die to yourself, right? But our, our culture says that we should indulge ourselves morally, and as long as it's not excessively. Scripture says, take up your cross daily, but our culture would say to bear the name of Christ only when we're really pressed on it, only when necessary. Scripture says to lose your life for his name's sake. Our culture would say that we should save our lives for our own name's sake. Scripture says, if you're not willing to, to hate your father, your mother, your, your brother, your wife, your kids, to pursue Christ, then you're not ready to follow. Our culture would say, idolize our family. Only do what's best for your family. Scripture says, consider all a loss. Renounce everything you have in this world. Just give it away. Renounce everything for the sake of Christ. And our culture would say, hold on to as much as we can and that we should only give out of what's easy, out of our excess. From a cultural perspective, let's now narrow that down to a church perspective. And not American Christianity. And this is, this is us, right, right here. Culture says to make disciples, teaching everyone to, to, to obey everything God commanded. And how do we flip that in our tradition? We just say, let's get people involved in a Bible study. Done. Disciple. Thank you. The scriptures say evangelize, to be bold in our faith. Sometimes we'll, we'll, leave a tr- we'll leave a track, like how to get to Jesus, or we'll just bring a friend to church. There was actually a time where my response to that evangelize and be bold, I actually left one, a card to like John Hamilton, like worship director. I actually left a card at someone's table. It's like, are you kidding me? Are, are you serious? How are they going to get to know Jesus? Because like I have like a, a cool like music thing on my card. It's not really following the commands of God. Scripture says, meditate on the word day and night. David even says, I've hidden your word in my heart. What we respond to that with is 20-minute quiet time. Done. Meditated. Scripture says to pray without ceasing. And we'll say, let's pray before a meal, before Christian events, before service. The the thing that got me about this on on a personal level was that this make disciples, evangelize, be bold, be willing to renounce all you have, leave everything behind to pursue Christ. The thing that gets me about struggling with this is that these were pre-Christ issues. Like these are things that Jesus would say to people before they even started following him. It wasn't like, hey, come, come follow me. And along the way, along the way, we'll work on this. Jesus was like, no, if you're going to follow me, this is what it's going to take. And I'm sitting here like, God, why, why do I struggle with non-believer issues? Why do I struggle with issues that, that, that people are supposed to deal with before they follow you? In Matthew 15, Jesus, and responding to the Pharisees and what they did in honoring their traditions over God's word, this is what they said. He says, he says you, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah speak of you when he said that these people honor me with their lips, 
but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men. And so they, they just keep falling into these traditions. And that's, what, that's all they honor. It's like, where is the living God in the midst of all that? And in some ways, we, sometimes we can get caught up in the same thing. Now, if you, if you think about it for a second, what if, just what if, we decided that we weren't going to try to, we weren't going to try to fake it anymore, but we were actually going to follow through with that thought, that we wouldn't come and pretend that we're honoring our tradition anymore, but what if, what would happen if we just had a church service that said, hey, we're just going to honor man-made tradition, we're just going to be very religious today. We're going to be uh, we're going to be God fearers like the like God fearers like the Pharisees. We're just going to come and honor our traditions. Could you imagine the types of things that we would start talking about here? Like the types of sermons that would take place, like the kinds of songs that we would sing. We wouldn't be singing these worship songs that come from these deep hearts, like God, great is your faithfulness, um, that Jesus paid it all. They wouldn't come from like these hearts of worship. They would more so just come from a place that honors tradition. Like, I, I wouldn't even have to put much effort into what we did up here. I would just take a word that we enjoyed and we would just make music with it. For instance, let's take the word worship. See what we can come up with. for our traditions, not just here to sing worship, worship. It's it's terrible. (laughs) It's it's just a terrible song. But we're here uh, seeking a living God, something real, something something that's beyond tradition, right? And there's this temptation at times for us to to believe that that we're like mature in our faith because we obey all these rules, because we follow all these traditions. There's this temptation to say, hey, like, I'm a mature, I'm a mature Christian. Like, like, if somebody comes up and wants to know about Jesus, because I follow these rules, because I have my 20 minutes, because I'm ready to bring a friend to church, I know Christ, and I'm going to lead people to Christ because I follow all these rules. In Colossians, here's what Paul says about people who, who, who think they're mature because they follow these rules. He says, watch out for those who have the appearance of wisdom in their self-imposed religion. These people are, will know the norms of Christianity, but their hearts won't be for the Lord. Probably thinking, like, how do we, so how do we recognize if we're, if we're falling into this trap? Like, how, do, how can I tell if I'm starting to become this person that just, that just follows rules and tradition over the Lord? In 2 Timothy, Paul says, you'll know who these people are because these fakes will be lovers of pleasure. Everything they do will be all about pleasure, all about just ease and, and just, and just having, having good things. It'll just be complete pleasure. God's people will have power in the midst of trial. 
and in the midst of persecution. He's like, you're going to know who God's people are because they're not just going to have like this easy thing where they're just loving pleasure all the time, but they're going to be pressed hard. If you follow Christ, that's part of the deal. They're going to be pressed hard and they're going to have power in the midst of that. And people are going to look at them and say, how can you love like that? Or how can you forgive like that? And they'll say it's because of him. It's that same idea that God was trying to get at back in Genesis. Like, look, just follow me, follow me, obey me, and, and then I'll, my name will be lifted from the earth. My name. God's people don't take pure joy and pleasure, but they take pure joy when they are faced with many trials because the testing of their faith produces perseverance. It's right out of the book of James. So you're probably thinking, (laughs) what is worship then? It's not all these traditions that we follow. It's not our our Bible studies. It's not us showing up here on Sundays, singing songs, worship, worship. It's not doing all that stuff. Then what is it? Again, back to Romans 12.1. It says, therefore, I urge you, Brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. So in essence, what Paul is saying is stop bringing these these rams, these goats, and these bulls on the altar and then just walking away and doing what you want. But instead, bring yourself to that altar. Bring your living body to that altar and stay there. Offer your life to the Lord. For us, we could say, instead of, instead of stressing out about, hey, how can I be nice to these five people? Like, this person really, like, pushes my buttons. How can I be nice to them? Instead of saying that, God's saying, look, just submit to me and take on my kindness. Submit to me and just take on kindness. Instead of trying not to be prideful, like at work or at school or around certain people, like, hey, I'm in leadership, you know, I'm awesome. God, help me, with my, help me with my humility in that. God's saying, why don't you take on my yoke and, and, and just bear my humility? Just, just follow me. See, if we can just get away from just this mindset on, on, on pursuing these, these traditions, on like these, these certain steps to, to follow the Lord, Instead, just just really just focus right on Jesus. I think I think that's where our where our worship really is. I think that's where that's where our worship really is when we can lay ourselves on the altar before the Lord and stay there. That's the tough thing about a living sacrifice, isn't it? That it has to be still and, and know He is God. It has to stay there. Would you stand with me? So looking at looking at what biblical worship is, I mean, we, we trotted our way our, the, the whole way through the Bible. I know I said worship's not music, but I want to take some time to try to connect this biblical view of worship with what we call worship. I, I don't even like calling it worship all the time when we're saying, hey, let's worship, because it allows us to compartmentalize like that. 
it allows us to say, hey, here's something I can offer on, on the altar. And then when I step away, I'm done worshiping. So, so just thinking about that, like thinking about how can I, God, how can I offer my entire body to you as a sacrifice? How can I do as you commanded the Israelites and love you with all my heart, love you with all my soul, love you with all my mind, with all my strength, and love my neighbor as myself? How can I do these things? I just want to offer some time to reflect on that. We're going to sing here in a minute, and if wires like haven't connected yet if if, if you're not if you're still thinking that through then 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 don't sing just keep just keep praying keep asking the lord god how can i how can i connect to what what true worship is this offering my life to you this seeking you alone nothing else you can go ahead and take some time to, to pray through that
Yosefu 